0: Hey, it's Liz Kelly. One shiny podcast will be touring from Friday, November 2nd to Wednesday, November 7th, where Tate, Titus, and nephew Kyle are traveling to Columbus, Ohio, Louisville, Kentucky, Bloomington, Indiana, and Chicago, Illinois to tip off the college basketball season.
1: You can find links to tickets on The Ringer's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, be sure to catch up on all of our NBA preview Palooza content from Tuesday, where you can find Bill Simmons, Shea Serrano, Joe House, and more previewing the start of the NBA season. You can check it all out on YouTube. What's going on, Jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. First Battle Season 1 champion, Mike Lawrence. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Troy Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. It's
0: your Girl, WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks.
1: Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I am Shane Scanlon Zach
2: Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the
1: Goof I'm AJ
2: Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening to this listening listening to, listening to, you're, you're,
1: you're listening to the Masked Man Show. The, the Masked Man,
2: Man Show. The Masked Man the Show. Man the Masked, Man the Masked Man Show. show. The Masked,
1: Man the Masked Man Show. Man show. The Masked Man <laughs> Welcome to the Mask Man Show. I'm David Shoemaker. We've got a very, very special show today. Two guests. One, first and foremost, the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins, but more importantly, the owner of the National Wrestling Alliance, Billy Corgan. I'm going to interview him right now. And then after that, my dear friend and ringer writer, Kenny Herzog, is going to be on the show to talk about everything that's going on in WWE this week. So stick around for Kenny right now. Here he is. The one, the only, William. And now we are on with uh, this is an incredible treat for me, um, the one and only Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins fame. But more importantly, uh, for for me, at least for the listeners of this podcast right now. Um, the head honcho at the National Wrestling Alliance. They got a big show coming up. The 70th anniversary show of the National Wrestling Alliance is, uh, on Sunday, October 21st, 6 p.m., Nashville Fairgrounds. Uh, Billy, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today?
0: Great. Uh, (laughs) it's funny, you know, I've been going to that building since the early days of TNA. So it's pretty wild that we're going to be doing our, our real first show ever. Um, celebrating the NWA 70th anniversary in that same building.
1: I've heard you talk a lot about kind of keeping the NW, your wrestling career separate from your music career when you do interviews and stuff like that. I just want you to know that this is a safe space. We, well, I'm, a big, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the music and the wrestling. Uh, I grew up with your music. I told my fiance that I was talking to you today, and she about fainted. Uh, and that's, that's strictly from a Smashing Pumpkins angle. I'm sure you've done radio spots for as far back as you can remember for the music and and now you're you're doing both uh you know you're promoting your, your music and the wrestling stuff um and i felt like you know just just lining up your big show it, it it felt like you know i just felt i felt like i was i could hear myself doing it on the radio promoting a, a concert but what are, to you as the creative force behind the nwa now and i want to get in the weeds a little bit in a minute but just when you put on a big show like this does it feel the same as putting on a big, as, as, put, as, as performing in a band? I mean, does it feel like, is, is it the same sort of anxiety and excitement leading up to it? Or is it a whole different, different animal for you?
0: Uh, I think in, in, in this uh, position, you know, the concern is, of course, just promoting the event uh, with, with its strengths. Where normally I'm in, I'm in that weird position where if I talk too much about myself, you know, it seems like self-aggrandizement. And, you know, it doesn't always kind of come across very well. Um, if you sit there and say, hey, "I'm so great, come see me," um, so a lot of times you do this kind of weird dance between what you'd like to talk about and then sort of whatever you need to do to get people to uh, be interested in, in what you're trying to sell. And music and selling is always a bit of a queasy thing because most musicians don't get into music to, to sell things; they get into music because they just want to, you know, play music. So. I'm I'm happy to promote because at the end of the day this is this isn't really about me it's about the talent and of course the history and legacy of the NWA. So I'm very comfortable in this uh, uh, part of my life because uh, it's really not about me.
1: Yeah. Well, you talk about being comfortable as a performer? I mean, someone who's been up on stage. I mean, you've always sort of had that I I mean maybe this is just an outside looking in thing and 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 I and I have this wrong, but it seems like I kind of felt like you always had the that sort of tension between the artist and the performer and that's part part of what made you know your, your your musical career so electric tell me what it's like to be as a wrestling fan and as a performer what's it like to you know to be an on-screen performer in the times that you've done that i mean to get in the ring i know in tna and you've done it now uh with the with the nwa like what what have you learned from being from being a uh a, you know an a managerial performer at, in in the wrestling world
0: well um, I don't know because because I didn't come up through the ranks, I've had to kind of learn on the fly um, who to be in in the wrestling world uh-huh. um, everybody's so amped up and on eleven that if you just if you're, you're if you're just yourself, it comes off as sort of diminished um but then again, I'm not there to really make it about me, so I've had to kind of find a place where you know, the volume is turned up but it still feels uh organic because at the end of the end of the day the, the, the product we're trying to represent with the NWA is probably closer to kind of an MMA presentation um than it is like let's call it traditional over the top wrestling. Um and so trying to find that feel. So maybe at you know at some point my character is closer to more like a Dana White than it would be say a Vince McMahon.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's really interesting. I got to admit that when when I heard that 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 you were buying NWA, I I wasn't, I I didn't know what you were getting into. You know, I didn't. I did. I, I, <laughs> you I honestly.
0: And a, you and a lot of people. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, but you know, that said, I got. I mean, the wrestling landscape has changed so much in the short time since since you bought the since you bought the NWA that. there's a lot of ways that it makes, I mean, it it makes so much sense now to do what you're doing. And I think that you must have seen that coming, right? I mean, did you, you, could you imagine that the wrestling world looks the way it it looks right now with the ability, you know, with, with everything the NW has been able to do in such a short amount of time?
0: Um, Actually, I can, I don't want to say I I predicted, you know, uh, that you would have this uh, turnaround and say one year, but I certainly saw what was coming and let's walk it back a a few steps. Um, When I was at, at TNA, and uh, involved in the, in the conception of what we would call the broken universe, you know, working with Matt and Jeff and, of course, David Lagana and Matt Conway and Jeremy Borash and everybody else who was involved in sort of building this thing. It started from an idea I had in booking where I kept saying, why can't we do stuff out of the building? Um, the, the, the general backstory being that TNA Wrestling was, was underwater financially and, and we were spending so much money shooting segments, I started saying, why can't we shoot stuff off-grid? why can't wrestling be more of a 24-7 universe as opposed to a, you know, once a week, here we are in the building type of thing? And that cracked the door open to allow us to start doing stuff off the grid, which led, of course, to the broken universe stuff. And the reaction to that sort of told me that the future of wrestling lay more in a combination of fantasy and reality. Um, And and all you need to do is look at something like the growth of wizard uh, cons and comic cons and stuff like that. People are very comfortable now with sort of going deep into the fantasy side of a show, of the characters, but at the same point, they're very interested in the people who are behind the scenes, not just talent, but also uh, as the creators, the people who do the animations or whatever. So you see this sort of burgeoning world uh, coming out That's I would call more of a 24-7 approach to content um, where you can have the show, but also the, the, the show behind the show is almost just as interesting as the show. So how do you balance that? And then, of course, you look around the world and you look at models like the UFC um, and how they, they produce their content, where one minute Dana White's a showman and one minute he's a comedian and he's sharing funny meme videos. You know what I mean? You don't have to be anything traditional anymore. You can be whoever you are and you kind of work with the public and you kind of find a, a space that, the, that they, they work towards. So we saw that coming. Now, the emergence, to, to answer your question, basically, to the emergence of people like uh, Cody, and the bucks and their ability to take their personal brands and flip them into you know actual ticket selling beyond the realm of a promotion or in support with the with promotion like ring of honor and that sort of emerging world let's call it the non WWE universe which is like this kind of wild west of all these promotions talents and everybody starting to align because they realize there's so much power there that's where we find ourselves now with the NWA we're in this sort of glue position where we can bring disparate parties together and through the history and legacy of the NWA, we can we can create events.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's so much to unpack there. What you said, we we um, I've been thinking a lot about you know the, the obviously Cody and the and the Bucks and 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 their uh, the degree to which, like you said, they're able to sort of self promote and and take their and and kind of bring their mantle along with them. I mean, I remember with TNA forever, and this is separate from your time there, but includes some of it. But there's every time there was the, 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 the they renegotiated the TV time slot. I mean, in wrestling history, the TV time slot is such a big deal. Right. I mean, it's like that. Like it's it that's that's what you need to have legitimacy. And as recently as a year ago, two years ago, the talk with with a with it, with a promotion like the NWA would have been, you know, do they have TV? Do they have a TV time slot?
0: Well, that's a, sorry to interrupt you, but that, I mean, that was the number one criticism and say the first six months of me buying the NWA. is like, well, what are you guys doing? Right. Are doing TV? Who's your roster? When are you running shows? And we kept saying, we don't have to do any of that. And and people kept saying, well, what does that mean? Then you're not a wrestling company. You're a, you know, it's a trophy on your, uh, on your shelf.
1: Yeah. And the, and the, I mean, what we've seen, you know, is, is that, uh, you know, a Twitter handle can be as powerful as a, as a TV time slot, you know, and, 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 and a, and a wrestler's uh, independent wrestler's name can be in some ways as powerful as a promotion. But I like to use the term that you're in this glue position because it really is. I mean, it, it's amazing uh, the way that, you know, that Cody and the NWA, and it could have been someone besides Cody, but, it, but obviously that, that was a, just a, the most miraculous fortuitous situation that, that, your kind of combined ascendances happened at the same time. Um, but that, that the legitimacy that the NWA is able to grant him and, and vice versa, um, you know, was that, when when you, did you have him in mind for a while as someone that you wanted to to have, a, have a relationship with? Um, or was he just, it was it right place, right time?
0: Well, we'd worked a little bit with Cody um, uh, in TNA. Um, if you remember him, uh, he and yeah. Randy came in very briefly. Um, before the whole thing kind of blew up. So I, I got to know him a little bit personally. And uh, he was a person we identified early on as somebody who would, who would work as a talent uh, with the NWA, not just, despite the fact, the family legacy. The thing we found very quickly, though, um, and Cody's a perfect example, is when you can combine that legacy and that sense of historical perspective, it's one thing to say, hey, he's the son of this legend, and we all revere Dusty. I mean, you know, anybody who's a wrestling fan does, that's, it's, he's on the Mount Rushmore, you know, as I like to say, but when, when he, when he, when Cody can stand there and he can tell you about the history. And by the way, he's not 65 and he's no, no longer able to get in the ring. The fact that he's an active uh, wrestler in the prime of his career, and he has that direct lineage to the history of the business. It's no longer under the control of one family saying, this is the history of the business. And I don't mean that as criticism. You know, the WWE has built this incredible uh, brand and, they can, they can call it however they want to call it. But you and I know there's a lot of history that does not fall under the purview of the WWE universe. And some people uh, debate about that. Some people are not happy about that. My point is, is you you go out and create whatever history you want. I mean, I can say that very simply as, a, as, a, as somebody in a, in a band. I mean, I started with nothing and I made a history for myself. And now that history can be connected back and can, people can debate where my band fits in the historical lineage. But until you do that, so Cody had to ascend to the mountain to be able to talk about the mountain. It'd be one thing to say, "Hey, I'm the son of some guy," and yeah, you never heard of me. But the fact that Cody's there, you take one plus one plus one, now you're into a thousand, and that's where the history of the NWA suddenly it's like it's like somebody flips all the lights on.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, another thing that you have in common with Cody besides just your your business relationship right now is is the the YouTube presence, and you know. Uh, uh, it just, it's so stunning to me how, in some ways, how obvious everything that, I mean, some of the things that you've done are and, and, you know, that Cody's done that, 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 I mean, every, the way that wrestling has changed. But we were just so, we were just talking about the TV time slots earlier. We were stuck in a rut for so long. I mean, you know, Lucha Underground is an amazing show. I love their product. It's amazing how, how revolutionary that seemed at the time, you know, and even some of the stuff that, that you did in TNA, how revolutionary just a small change can seem. Um, is it, with, with your, you know, do do you feel like the, that the business model is totally changed for you, or is there a, is there a, you know, is it always going to be a TV and pay per view based industry? Are you or do you feel like you're totally past that now?
0: I think the new business is still being formed. Um, I think what you can do is you can look at the WWE TV deal, which you know was obviously incredibly lucrative, mm-hmm. and you can say, okay, that's going to be a fixture for the next five plus years. So you can count on that clock sort of regulating what the wrestling community talks about. Because the wrestling community, whether they like it or not, does sort of run on the WWE clock. You know, WrestleMania sets the tone for people's contracts. And, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens around WrestleMania, as we all know. And mm-hmm. now the events that even follow the WrestleMania event around, you know, the other shows that go and, you know, and, and, and rightly so. It's been, a, it's been lucrative for everybody. But outside of that, I think that the wrestling fan has indicated very clearly that they want to see as much progress in the wrestling entertainment product as they do in the other products they consume, whether it's video games or movies or uh, comics. You know what I mean, let's call it the wider world of of fantasy and and entertainment. Um, I think wrestling is long overdue to try to bring that kind of more electric street feel into the into the product. And I think just the small indications that you've seen over the last couple of years, That says to me, that's just tip of the iceberg where this can go. The problem, and to answer your question faithfully, the problem is then walking into a boardroom with somebody who can write a big check and trying to convince them, hey, this is where this is going. They'll agree with you, you know what I mean, on principle, but they don't see the business model yet where it's like, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to write this check and I'm automatically going to get X back in return. So those things are still happening behind the scenes. And I think once you see a major move by a, by a huge entertainment conglomerate, where they sign on the dotted line and say, we're going to bet on wrestling, not the traditional, you know, Saturday morning version that we all grew up watching, or, you know, Monday Night Raw version, but we're going to bet on this kind of new 24-7 digital universe type of approach. I think once you see a major uh, corporate entity sign on the bottom line there, the business will blow wide open.
1: Yeah, I mean, part of that's just uh, how media. I mean, we, no one knows how media is evolving in general, right? I mean, the, there's there's uh, the the twenty four seven universe that you talk about. I think applies in a lot of ways more more faithfully to wrestling than anything else. But yeah, I mean, you know, the, the I, I'm I'm trying to think of a parallel example. Like the Kardashian Empire is that way, and some you know they had the they had the TV show as the anchor. But like their Instagram and their, their, their various other web presences are more significant in some ways. And certainly the money is rolling in through clothing sales and other things like that. You know I mean? It,
0: that's why I say is like, and I've, and I've had these conversations, you're now in a position where maybe a wrestling company wouldn't need the TV per se to drive their revenues. It would be what the TV would help drive other people to in terms of revenue. And that's where the model is quickly changing. So yes, you have this fixed star with the WWE and their and their and their broadcast deal, and so that's not going anywhere anytime soon. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of conversations going about. Okay, wh- where is this all going? And that's what you're hinting at.
1: Well, it's funny that you're talking about the TV show not being the revenue base and driving other revenue. I mean, that sounds a whole lot like the way the original NWO, I mean NWA, operated. Right? I mean that they were using TV to drive people to, to live shows and to, you know, every every other way that they're... But also using. that,
0: creating, creating a scenario where regional uh, situations in the time uh, before you had particularly a national view, although you had national networks, you could take regional things and then drive people to events yeah. um, by creating synergy. And that's where, that's where we kind of find ourselves again with the NWA, is we're back into a place where by creating synergy... Um, we might find ourselves in the position where people can have their individual fiefdoms. You know, in the past, everybody—it was either you had to win or you had to lose. Now everybody can win, and that's the—that's the message that I that I try to preach um, publicly and behind the scenes. It's not—it's not a zero sum game anymore. Like, in order for the NWA to win, this company over here has to lose. No, we all can win. Um, and as I like to point out, you know, if WWE is a is a two billion dollar corporation. There's nobody that's even got one uh, percent of of the of the worth, much less ten percent. But yet, if you look at any other business—cookies, bread, cars—there's always a second and a third competitor that is in relative striking distance of the of the main force. The uh-huh. fact that there's such a disparate uh, space between the WWE hegemony and everybody else tells you that that business is still there. And that's what you try to preach when you go into these corporate meetings and try to explain to them. look, there's this wide open market. You just got to be willing to step in. But because nobody's built it yet, they kind of scratch their head and say, well, how's this going to work? And so that's what we're in the business of doing. We're trying to build it with or without help. Right now, we don't have help, so we just build it ourselves and we're able to work with talent like Cody and, um, and uh, Nick Wallace and stuff like that, where we can create events, we can create moments. And we're showing people that this business can exist and everybody can actually remain fairly independent, which, you know, in terms of wrestling, in terms of the talent, that's a mind-blowing proposition.
1: So this is sort of a question that you've probably been asked and you're and you tired of answering, but I have, to, I have to say it based on what you're just talking about. I mean, is there a world, is there a version of this universe in which you're co-promoting shows with WWE someday?
0: You know, I, I think you can't rule it out, and, and and people would laugh at that and scratch their heads at that. But the point is, is at the end of the day, if you build something that that has value, then why wouldn't it be if it's lucrative to everybody involved? I mean, look, if you had said twenty years ago that the UFC and WWE would work mm-hmm. together and do co-promotions, you would have laughed your ass off. For sure, you wouldn't have believed it. Why? Who? What? Huh? The fact that you know, people, there's been talent exchanges and co-promotions and co-promotion of products shows you. That if you can build something that has vitality, now, you've you've got a long, long way to go before you'd be even in Vince's rearview mirror.
1: Sure.
0: So I, I'm always the first to raise my hand and say, I'm not delusional. But you can look at what the McMahons have built and say, there's this whole other thing out there. Even if you're standing in their shadow, there's this whole other thing out there. And all in is is now the proof. You know, you have, you have literal proof. Talents themselves put on a show; the fans back them up and said, "This is something we want." And and having stood there at the at the dawn of the you know the grunge revolution, I know that feeling where the fans come up and say, "Yeah, we get what you're doing over here, but you know, there's this whole other thing that we're interested in too." And we're gonna we're gonna build this market ourselves. That's coming. It's just who wants to be on board, who wants to play nice, and look. You know, we've had plenty of discussions with WWE as well over the past year. Um, you know, the door's open to them. I mean, we're we're more than willing to try to hook up what we're trying to do with what they're trying to do. Because at the end of the day, they've now built a, a network, and we look at them as a network like you would look at Turner or ESPN. If they want more content, let's call it third-party content, not under the WWE umbrella, but third-party content that you would lease to them. I mean, we're more than willing to, to talk about those things because as far as we're concerned, they're in the wrestling business and they're a
1: network. Vince McMahon has done a lot of stuff for the wrestling industry, and we, we could... Sing his praises or, or find nits to pick all day long, but one thing that he's done really well is he's embodied this like on-screen heel persona. And if you're talking about a twenty-four, if wrestling being a twenty-four-seven operation, you have had quite a babyface run over the past year. All the wrestling fans are, are so excited to see what you're doing and what you do next. Eventually, they're going to start booing you, right? I mean, ev- eventually, you're going to eventually, you're going to be. <laughs> You're going to be a natural heel. You mean you own this thing? Are you are you ready for that?
0: Oh, I'm 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 fine with being a heel. Let's let's hope there's enough success where, where they'd have a reason to boo me. You know.
1: What do you think the NWA or does pro wrestling look like a year from now? It's all happened so quickly. A year from now, five years from now, what is the shape of the company and the industry in the future? I, I
0: think I think the simple uh, 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 picture I would draw in everyone's mind is, you know, to me the WWE is like this massive starship. And it's what happens around that starship that's going to determine the next sort of three to five years. Mm. In my case, I'm independent. I don't need anybody's financing. I don't need anybody's TV network. I can operate on my own and do exactly as I please. And so that gives me sort of a different uh, ability uh, on a street level to pursue what I think is the coming market. Um, The question is as simple as this. This alternate kind of universe, this 24-7 collection of the disparate forces that now exist, non-WWE in the world, they are going to come together at some point because the market will dictate it. Uh, yeah. Cody and the Bucks have already proven that that's there. And, and, and I feel pretty strongly in saying that I think everybody in the business, including WWE, is aware that that's coming. The question is, who's going to write the check to, to decide which direction it's going to go in? Um, and once that happens, it'll either be co-opted co- back into typical corporate stuff, or it'll be a, 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 a free reign type of thing where everybody will get to run forward into the new 21st century version of, of wrestling uh, and entertainment and how fans would receive it and how they would connect with the talent, everything like that. Obviously, I'm on the side that, that is going to remain independent and, and not have to sort of uh, get sold out to sort of the corporate interest. Um because at the end of the day, having been in some of those meetings with those corporate interests, you know, the minute they start sort of steering you back to, towards traditional kind of wrestling, we just kind of shrug, and and I think that surprises those people because obviously, you know, they're the ones that are that are holding the, the bigger check, uh-huh. and we basically say we don't think that's where the that's where this world is going. So we'd rather stay independent for another year. So in a year from now, when we have more evidence to prove it to you guys, you guys might be more willing to write that check, but. We're not. That's why we don't necessarily go into these meetings. And say, yeah, we want the fifty uh, week a year TV deal, like Impact has with uh, Pop. Or you know, we think that that model is absolutely outmoded and broken.
1: Yeah, I have to ask. This definitely goes into the twenty four seven territory. Mm-hmm. Smashing Pumpkins has a new LP coming out on November sixteenth, "Shining and Oh So Bright, Volume One" LP. No past, no future, no sun. That's a mouthful. I was looking. Yeah, I've heard a couple of the tracks; they're great. And I was looking over the the notes for the album, and I saw, of course, that this is that the album's produced by Rick Rubin. And I know that Rick's a big wrestling fan too. It might be pulling the curtain back a little too far, but I mean, you guys did you guys talk wrestling? You must have when you're making this album, right?
0: When we when we when we record, that's literally all we talk about. When we're not, <laughs> in, like in between takes, when we're just kind of sitting for five minutes, just you know, catch your breath. That's what Rick Rick wants to talk about. He wants to talk about wrestling.
1: Is it like, do you remember WrestleMania three or is it like, did, like, did you watch the, did you watch new Japan this week? I mean, what, what's the degree of specificity that we're talking about there?
0: Uh, he's very interested in where the business is going and sort of the behind the scenes kind of, uh, you know, it's called water cooler gossip, right? You know, kind of what's, what's going on. He certainly has some deep sources. So he'll, you know, he'll occasionally sort of show up with something that sort of surprises me. Um, cause he, <laughs> you know, he knows certain people, but no, he, he, he definitely follows, um, what's going on and um, he's aware, but I think he's more interested in the sort of like how it all fits together because to him it's a, it's a wild world. And, and so he, he has a good laugh uh, at how crazy that world is.
1: I think that one of the, uh, uh, I'm winding up for a compliment here. I think that one of the coolest things that you've done and about just wrestling in general right now is that, is that this is the first time I feel like wrestling fan. When people are like, "You're like," find out that you're into wrestling. You can look at someone else and be like, "You just don't get it." In a way that like people would talk about, like the Smashing Pumpkins when they came out, or like you know, whenever there's a new when there, when there's when there's new music that's just sort of like trickling up to the mainstream and not quite there yet. You could be like, you can have that feeling that you that you're in on the ground level. You know, the average fan just doesn't get it, and they or the average media consumer. I mean, wrestling fans, I think, all sort of get it. Um, do you feel like when you talk to somebody like Rick Rubin, is there, is wrestling a secret handshake sort of for you? I mean, do you know that, do you feel like you know somebody more intimately when you find out they're a wrestling fan?
0: I generally have uh, more respect for people when I find out that they're wrestling fans, because what that tells me is that they're just, they're, 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 uh, they're into life. They're into having a good time and they're not going to let somebody else tell them what to think. You know, wrestling fans by and large are, they're very independent minded people, um, if, 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 the, if the guy next door telling you uh, why you watch that stuff, you know, oh, it's all fake, whatever. If that's going to knock you out as a wrestling fan, then you don't really have any guts for it.
1: You know? Of course, yeah. All right, let's, let's hit this one more time before we get out of here. Uh, the 70th anniversary show of the National Wrestling Alliance, 6 p.m., Sunday, October 21st, at the Historic Asylum at the Nashville Fairgrounds. We got Cody uh, versus Nick Aldis, a two out of three falls match. Which is, uh, you know, all the reason you need to show up. Um, but that's not it. There's, I mean, there's a there's a ton more going on. Colt Cabana is going to be there. Who uh, who 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 else is on this card? Uh, Scorpio Sky, Sam Shaw. Um, there's a, it's a, this is a huge this is going to be a big event. Yeah, we got uh, Animal from the Road Warriors. Oh, Animal's there. That's right. Oh, Willie Mack, yeah. one of my favorites. I mean, this is this yeah, is Willie a Mac. Uh,
0: incredible talent. Um, we have a bunch of the former champs will be in that will be in the building that night, which is awesome. Um, we're, we're rechristening a title, the national title. So, um, we're doing an eight man tournament uh, that night. So there will be a new winner crown and we'll, we'll reveal the new belt. Um, so yeah, so this is our next sort of building piece. You know, we're, we're going to finally start running shows and then we're bringing the second belt back. we also have jazz who's the women's champion. She'll be defending. Um, so basically now we'll start doing documentaries, not only just for the 10 pounds, but also for the women's belt and for the national belt. Um, and then for anybody interested, the, the, uh, the pay-per-view will be on the fight app. Oh yeah. Oh so, yeah. It's a, it's a historic night. And, uh, you know, uh, it's not a lot of times you can say, you know, Hey, be there at the beginning. I mean, the NWA, yeah, it's been around for seventy years, but this is really a new, a new beginning. Um, we've obviously put the work in, Oh, it's taken a year to get us to the point where we feel comfortable even to run a show. Um, and we've done a lot of amazing things already without running a show. So, and then having two great talents like Cody and. All this in the prime of their careers, um, gunned it out for this title, which you know obviously means the world to Cody. And trust me, Nick is not a happy guy not being the champion. So um, anybody who knows Nick knows he's a prickly bear. So it's going to be a real good fight, and uh, I'll be there. It's going to. Uh, I'm very proud and just uh, just so excited about the future. And I appreciate you talking about where this business is going because that's the most exciting thing. Um, if people want to look at this show and say, oh, you know, what, what does this mean about wrestling in the 21st century? What it means is it's even possible. I mean, think about it. Anybody in the entire world can watch this event. Um, that's pretty crazy. You know, no one can say, no, you can't watch this event. If you want to be there, you can go and get a ticket. But I mean, the whole world can tune in if they choose. And that's, that's what's so amazing. Anybody can put out on this show at this point, And then having the history of the NWA behind you is, is even better
1: yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. I'll just say you're absolutely right. There's nothing there I mean, there's nothing better for a wrestling fan, especially one of my generation, but but any any wrestling fan of all to be able to like open up your phone and watch this event that would that would have been unthinkable, you know, five or ten years ago. But also to be able to watch event watch an event at the asylum. I mean, at the national fairgrounds, which is, you know, as an old school fan, my running qualm with WWE is that everything looks the same and everything feels the same. And this is like an old school venue. You know, it's like the Sportatorium was. And and it's so fun to watch that stuff to be there live or to watch it, you know, on fight. Thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been a real treat for me.
0: I appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Have a great day, man. Thanks so much to Billy Corgan, and now sitting next to me, the one, the only—I think he was briefly the bassist of Smashing Pumpkins. Kenny Herzog, how you doing, man? <laughs> I
2: am doing well, and uh, I, it's a pleasure to uh, step into the shoes of, <laughs> of
1: Dan William Corgan.
2: Oh, William Corgan. Yes. Um, oh, uh, in, in one sense, Dan Sangerman, but yeah, yeah sure. Dan,
1: Dan is uh, Dan is off doing his thing right now. Um, I'm sure it's something very funny. Kenny, thank you so much for swinging by. You've written a lot of really cool stuff for us at the ringer.com. Nice. Um, you wrote something, you had a great interview this week with Terry Funk, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But before we get there, the main event um, of this podcast, at least this portion of the podcast this week, is something we've been talking about on and off for a while, both on this show and, and you and me in text messaging and on the phone and stuff. Um, you know, WWE, there's nothing that they love more than mainstream attention. You know when something they do crosses over into the pop culture, like the 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 wider, the broader pop culture sphere, and everybody that when 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 I'm walking down when I when I walk into my office and one of my coworkers is like, "Hey, I saw something with wrestling on TV last night." That is a mo- great moment for me, but more yeah. importantly, it's a great moment for Vince McMahon. That's what he shoots for with everything that he does. I think this week might have been an exception mm-hmm. when John Oliver decided to do his, one of his lengthy monologues about the catastrophe that's, that is that is the Saudi Arabia right now, and decided as his little hammer to focus on WWE
2: and their upcoming show there. Yes, he did, he did it with like a ball-peen hammer. It wasn't, <laughs> uh, you, know, a, a, you know, regulation carpenters. MBS's PR push isn't just toward attracting businesses, it's also toward changing the world's perception of Saudi Arabia. To that end, he struck a 10-year deal with one of the most popular and most American franchises there is, World Wrestling Entertainment, or WWE. They held their first of many events there back in April and audiences around the world were treated to -to wall-to-wall propaganda about the new Saudi Arabia, including a video showing women happily driving, men dancing, and tourist destination beauty shots, as well as constant excited compliments throughout the broadcast.
0: For the first time, WWE bringing an event of this magnitude to Saudi Arabia. This vibrant, progressive city, our host tonight,
2: it's all part, of course, of the Saudi this Vision 2030. King Abdullah Sports City Stadium just got on its feet.
0: That area has been reserved for the Saudi
2: royal family, the House of Saudi. I want to send a genuine thank you to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Wow. It seems the WWE is as overtly pro-Saudi Arabia as it is latently homoerotic, which is to say <laughs> intensely.
1: This cool. was a, a kind of exactly the kind of attention WWE didn't didn't want for their show because clearly, and you were saying this to me before before we started recording. Regardless of what they're going to do about the Crown Jewel show, which is scheduled now for what two weeks from now, two and a half weeks, November second, in uh, in one month before Hanukkah. Yes, one that's that's, that's why I always I, I always measure everything against Hanukkah. Well,
2: let's wade into the West Bank while we're at it. All, All right, right cool. <laughs> uh,
1: the but it's scheduled for November second. Um, ever since. Uh, Jamal Khashoggi, uh, the, the Saudi journalist and, 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 uh, and not American citizen, but, but American resident, um, was possibly murdered in the Saudi embassy in Turkey. Um, WWE has been taking a lot of flack online and sort of the kind of usual quarters of, um, shouty Twitter voices and message boards. But and then, but then, an interesting ha- thing happened uh, a- after that, which is that um, the Connecticut state senator remind me his name, Chris Murphy. Oh, I, do, I always forget Chris Murphy.
2: Chris, I love Murphy.
1: Chris Murphy, but you know, I always forget his name. Um, he came out and, and he came out and denounced WWE running a show there, and then a couple other people joined the chorus of, of some significance, and then of course John Oliver jumps in. What do you think? I mean, was oh, The whole point of this is, is WWE's been keeping their head down, right? Yes. They, um, they've so been. They've not been promoting the locale, or at least not its, head its the bona fides or whatever, since this thing went down on their on their
2: shows. Right. I, right. That deliberate is, choice. I think it's definitely a deliberate choice. I think it's not enough for a lot of people. Um, you know, it, it's like somebody copping to a plea for you know a, a more heinous crime. I think for some for some folks, um, I personally. <laughs> don't know what other outcome people would expect right now because there's money on the table and they're not going to take it off until there's reasonable demonstrable proof that you know it's absolutely a complete moral and ethical transgression to do anything otherwise so i'm not surprised it's ridiculous it's awkward but what a pickle yeah there's so many things you could
1: say about it and i and i would say first and foremost that like it is like the ethical quandary occurred before the murder uh, of Khashoggi, right? I mean, and that was a thing that even we as wrestling fans, me as a wrestling journalist, as a podcast or whatever, didn't didn't give enough attention to. But I think it's okay. As I think I said last week, it's okay to learn and have your opinion evolve, and not feel like you're gagged by the fact that you weren't loud, that you weren't vocal enough last time something happened, or that yeah. you weren't aware enough of something. Yeah, weird reason to mute yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think that that anyway, this is this whole commerce this whole thing is very, it, it's very fraught. It's very fraught. There's been reports that like the crew doesn't want to go. Obviously, the the uh, the wrestlers aren't you know out there saying stuff. Although Finn Balor is has has not conducted himself on social media like someone who's who's shy about getting disinvited on a trip to. To Saudi Arabia, Um, (laughs) what does he have to lose these days? No, anyway, yeah, I mean it's you know it's it's all it's it's just all it's all such a mess. I mean, frankly, I would be if I was you know if I was John Cena and I just got put on blast for for going and you know publicly thanking the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia for such an awesome show the last time they went out at the Greatest Royal Rumble. I mean, there's got to be some part of you that's worried about your personal safety if you're like the public face of a company of a
2: of a company that's that's in, you know in, in the in the eye of this giant storm, right? So you don't expect the John Cena to come out and um, you know offer some kind of uh, sober statement about everything that's no, going on. I d- you're I d- more thinking practically. He should be fearing for his life potentially.
1: Well, I mean, if you go out there and the expectation is that you're going to be like you're going to put over the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and then you just decide to not do that. I mean, what?
2: Wouldn't you be worried? I, you know, I think I'm not saying you should like it's it's logical to be worried, but like it's human. I mean, that this is an interest. Maybe that's what forces their hand more than you know, sort of a la Trump. You know, it, it, more than their um, let me put it this way, more than their needing to be incontrovertible proof uh, that the Saudis and, and and their embassy were directly involved in the murder, which is sort of what Donald Trump is waiting for before yeah. he takes money off the table. Uh, maybe what it will take is a sort of mutiny of um, performers not wanting to perform not well, only because of the... There were reports last time that they actually had the choice whether or not to go
1: when all this stuff was going on. And who knows how much of that is like a, a kind of on paper versus a practical choice. But um, Dave Meltzer's reported that um, earlier in the week or last week, that uh, oh no, it was this. This was just this week that um, unless the State Department or Donald Trump himself tells WWE not to go, they will proceed with the show in Saudi Arabia.
2: I mean, I tend to believe that, but I also feel like wouldn't they avoid mention of Saudi Arabia on their broadcast because there's always the possibility that the location might shift, and they're resourceful enough and to. Maybe be scrambling behind the scenes for some sort of a, I, a, a contingency. This is so far afield.
1: Yes, you're right. This is so far afield from what we're talking about. But I couldn't. I, when when I, I just earlier today, I was imagining this. Like if they if something happened and they couldn't go, imagine just how. Like this could be this could be like WWE's like wrestling Woodstock. It's like we have a giant show we have to put on. We have nowhere <laughs> to do it. Let's set up a ring in a field in Connecticut could, and just and just tweet out that we're gonna be there. This is like Kanye's
2: album release. Well, yes, but if they choose to go ahead with having it in Saudi Arabia, it could turn into their Woodstock ninety nine. Yes, exactly. Uh I was no, I mean pretty much exactly Woodstock
1: ninety nine. So yeah. um yeah, it's a I mean, there's a there's a lot of problems with it. But I I was talking to somebody who shall remained nameless. That was that had an interview. Uh, this wasn't you, right? I well, like now you just named me for this. <laughs> but I, I know. So if, if this was an, if this was you, pretend I didn't just say that. And Jim, you can edit any of that out. I talked to somebody earlier in the week who no was way. conducting an interview with some WWE folks and uh, with on-screen personalities. And the only stipulation in the interview was that that we're not, you're not to talk about Crown Jewel or the politics thereof. It's like Fight Club. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, that thing that can derail derail everything. That makes sense from a PR
2: point of view. But this is, but still, like we need to know. Can I we don't need to know anything. This is- well, I could say similarly that you know I know some people personally you know that work in corporate and WWE, and I just have definitely gotten the sense from them over the last few years that anything that is particularly politically fraught is is sort of um, not a not fodder, not fair game, you know, for what goes on on air. And I've written extensively about how that may or may not have um, watered down what they could have done with Rusev. And uh, so this uh, would be just sort of a through line of that. Well, But at the same time, it's like the, by by
1: being so apolitical, they've just really stepped in it. <laughs> they, they have. Like, they, they backed have. right into this gigantic political shitstorm and that
2: makes them no different than every uh, other you know uh, company every other you know media entity and outlet in, in the land you know no one can avoid politics right now or or you know exactly stepping into a, a puddle of partisan shit well it's good no
1: i mean you know everybody everything's political now i mean the one thing that the one way that WWE is different than a bunch of all these other companies is that there's a lot of companies that were planning to go to Saudi Arabia for this investment conference that the Crown Prince was throwing. And many of these companies are now just saying, "Now we're not going to go. It's easy enough to say, like, we're just not going to go to this elective thing that we were doing, that everybody, especially when everybody else is backing out, too. And one thing that we, we just don't know is what WWE's
2: contractual terms are with the kingdom. I mean, I don't know. Just personally, I've always been – I was always the kid who would say, you know, uh, there's no way – uh, I'm going to go on that field trip if it means I have to shower in the same cabin as as other boys who are I gonna know make that feeling, fun of me. Yes, nude, and you know, and as a grown up, I'd say I'm I'm absolutely not going to go on that team building exercise. I don't, you know, let's we can we can play chicken here, or you can just um, make me an exception. So I don't know what the uh, <laughs> what the dynamic is there, especially when you're dealing with a lot of people who are technically independently contracted. You know, I I don't know. What those conversations are like, they might be having these conversations for the first time, so maybe they'll be um, pioneering in, in that respect. But did you hear any of the um, of JBL's
1: appearance on Fox business?
0: It's going to take place, though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, from what I understand, yes. The idea is that uh, the WWE is going to go there. Right now, the they, official line is that they're monitoring the situation. My personal opinion is that they should go. I think the only way you promote change, look at what we did with Cuba. You isolate a country, all you do is impoverish that country. You want to promote change. WWE went to Abu Dhabi. They had the first women's match that had ever happened in the Middle East. The crowd was chanting in English, This is change. And for these senators, to come out and bash the WWE on this. I've spent seven Christmases in Iraq and Afghanistan with the WWE. I was with the WWE, the first group to go down and visit the Twin Towers while they were still burning and bodies were pulling out. We were the first group on 9-13 to have a mass gathering right after 9-11. People didn't know what was going to happen. For these guys to hide behind their patriotism and their, their, their show uh, flag-waving to me, I think, is to try to improve their abysmal approval ratings to me is wrong. WWE has been at the forefront of change and you want to change Saudi Arabia, you send something like WWE there. Mm, I'm glad he was on the show. Yeah.
2: You can make comparisons, you know, you know, as much as you want um, between the you know, McMahon administration and the Trump administration and they are, you know, um, somewhat inextricable in, in terms of... Uh, oh. <clears throat> and And they are... <laughs> and, and, and they are rightly... Um, Inseparable in a lot of ways. But this one area, this one idea of, um, you know, kind of global domination and, and um, imposing your will on the rest of the world, you know, is uh, culturally and commercially is um, kind of a signature, I guess you could argue, WWE uh, philosophy. It's an ideology, really. And I don't know where I, – I, I think talent nowadays are far more um, progressive personally in their politics and their activism than they were maybe, you know, a few generations ago when it was the Ric Flair's of Yeah, no, I think <laughs> that's true. I mean, it,
1: you know, there's definitely, I think it's, I think, you know, there's probably a lot of, there's a mix in the locker room for sure, you know. Um,
2: can you have your cake and eat it too? Can you have... You know, but this isn't oh go ahead. What's your question. No, no. Can you I mean you can you have your cake and eat it too and say, um, let's celebrate, you know, Darren Young as our as an openly gay performer prior to him being let go. Can we celebrate Sonia Deville as an you know openly, you know, lesbian performer, but then at the same point, um, you know, flout our our desire to conquer parts of the world that uh are you know is strictly prohibitive of the participation of those kinds of people in their society these are the qu- these are the waters that they're wading into now whether they like it or not and maybe that's that's the sort of learning curve they're on and it's happening in real time and people are reacting to it in real time it's riveting but it's complicated
1: yeah that's a good question and i think that the, i mean the, the really salient question right now is before we get to crown jewel uh, we have another WWE pay-per-view called Evolution, which is not this weekend, but next, I believe. And it's the WWE's first all-women's pay-per-view. And it was clearly planned uh, as a preemptive sort of volley. when people. So when people complain that women are not allowed to wrestle in Saudi Arabia, they would be like, oh, no, but we're doing something even better. As we've long discussed for the past 72 hours, we have their own. They have their very own pay-per-view, which you know evolution's interesting from a couple of points of view one front, one is that it's totally now been buried by the existence right. of crown jewel and all the sort of like discussion that's that's bubbling out of that that's the great irony yeah and even and and then there's the very functional equivalent parallel irony that they haven't even booked the pay-per-view like we have a title match that just came together last week, right? The the bell turn they for some reason put off till last week. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Uh and it and the other like two other matches from the card um were combined into a tag team match because Lita and Tristratus are who knows if they can work and Alexa Bliss might be hurt. And then Is that what was Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of rumors about why those two matches got subsumed into one tag match and then the smack on the SmackDown side, we actually ha- we obviously have this Charlotte uh Flair, um, Becky Lynch feud, which is bonkers good. But literally, I believe every other woman on the SmackDown roster is now has now been um rounded up into this battle royal, which has become its own its own internal political minor shitstorm because when they announced it, like every woman on the SmackDown roster
2: Re, like replied to the tweet with gifs of their own faces looking dissatisfied, which which could all be part of the storyline, or it could be a, you know their campaign to um, to change that the same way that they campaigned to ultimately instigate the you know quote unquote divas <laughs> revolution you yeah. know, a few years ago. I don't. I mean, it just it's just like as far as booking goes, like
1: does anybody? There's no excuse for a battle royal unless you're booking. Uh, unless you're booking a battle royal in, where the in sole purpose is Braun Strowman eliminating 29 other men <laughs> and like if, the, if it's like the gimmick exists for the gimmick or where it's like a legends battle royal or some, you know, just some excuse for like some match where the entrances are all that matters. Why not do a mini tournament on the card to crown the new number
2: one contender? Why not do something or just Throw together some random matches. You mean, you know? for the record, you mean? Um, there's no, there's no place for Royal Rumble in this context, of course. Uh, for a battle royal in this context, because of course we all agree the Royal Rumble. Well, the Royal Rumble is different, yes, and it yes. has and it has
1: stakes. But the Royal yeah. Rumble is, is set up so that you can have people can be showcased, right? Or straight up battle royal is just like just everybody saying, Like you don't know,
2: like it's litera- a mosh pit.
1: Yeah, liter- it, it could literally be. People off the street performing in the match except until it gets down to the final three.
2: It's a sea of humanity. Yeah, right. Because it's not. It's not staggered the way that it tends to be in 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 no, it is,
1: Royal Rumble. It, it is the closest thing to a literal waste right. of a wrestler's time. So uh, in, that there could possibly be.
2: So I guess what's funny is that several weeks ago, it looked like they were actually really. Setting the stage for what was going to be, you know, a bunch of different threads of things going, you know, into evolution. You saw Oscar and Naomi teaming up. They were having issues with the Iconics, and, um, you know, you saw that trouble was brewing. With you, if you could see the writing on the wall, the Bellas were go- were up to something. Whether they were going to, um, you know, turn on Natalia or Ronda or both, uh, and and it does feel as if as we've gotten closer, they've gotten um a lot more lax about that, and perhaps that's because they've been. Busy scrambling to manage this crisis, manage this whole situation, but that feels like uh, an excuse uh, not valid, really, because they have enough um, personnel <laughs> to be yeah. dealing with with putting out different fires at different times, and for someone to keep their eye on the ball and make sure that this thing gets to the finish line while someone else is over here, you know, m- figuring out how to, you know, politic this issue with the Saudi Arabia business.
1: Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, I just think that all the politics, all the literal politics aside, or or first definition politics aside, if there was ever any doubt that evolution was just sort of a sop to people who, a preemptive sop to people who were going to complain about Crown Jewel, all the evidence you need to see is the fact that they've booked no one into matches like yeah. they've done no more work for crown for for evolution than they would have done for whatever the next pay-per-view for you know for survivor series it, for the for on the on the women's side there's nothing they don't have anything anything special planned i mean anything extra planned than they would have
2: maybe it's a referendum on smackdown because look we just saw smackdown 1000 which frankly it had it was fun and it had some highlights but did that feel like a Coronation of something—the way that every sort of raw milestone was celebrated. Well, no,
1: I mean, but it's not. I mean, it's like, we,
2: like they could have at least
1: just looked at the card and just been like, you know, we're we've we've spent time setting up Oscar and Naomi versus the Iconics. Why not have that match? Maybe just for
2: the sake of like not just to preempt preemptive this conversation that we're having right now. Right, right. I I mean personally, um, to, to deciding that the Iconics are. Um, Sort of irritating. Uh, it would be um, valid for me. That would be enough <laughs> yeah. to persuade me. But that's that's a personal preference issue. I think uh, overall it was working. It was gelling. They had a, they had a, um, an animus. There was there was good chemistry between partners on each team, obviously, and they had hostility with each other. Um, it also speaks to the larger bungling of Asuka. So there's maybe some things that are endemic to um, how they're still figuring out ways to sustain. Um, meaningful work for the women to begin with maybe this was in a way evolution it's it's just frustrating the whole thing is
1: frustrating at some point someone I mean listen Vince McMahon doesn't listen to this podcast and probably no one at WWE listens to this podcast but someone at some point Asuka is going to ask for her release or or Asuka's contract is going to come up and Vince McMahon is going to say out loud to someone she didn't like she didn't grab the brass ring right and the people in that room are not are going to say okay they're not going to say, no, we left her off TV for no reason for two months, and then we didn't book her a match in the – big. In the, I mean, she is – coming out of NXT was like – had
2: as much or more potential as anybody coming out of NXT. A phenom, which, which is strange because she was already established, as we know, but for the purposes of WWE and her creation in WWE, yeah, it, she was built as a once-in-a-generation phenom. Like – why wow. like you have? to give her something in evolution. I mean, who? Kn- I just start to. All you can do is just get to leave into- to leave her off TV and to the bring her back
1: in. A, I'm Naomi's friend storyline, and I love Naomi, but like that's like Bray Wyatt. We were talking about this right before we came on. Bray Wyatt's off the off the screen right now. Kevin Owens is off with an injury. We started to talk about what they were going to do when they come back, and we can we might chat about that a little bit later. But like this is the equivalent of Kevin Owens taking time off to heal and then Bobby and then like he's gonna they have him like plan to come back for with Bobby you know and and renew his feud with Bobby Lashley and then instead they what they like do just something dumb with him which that's a terrible thing instead they make him instead they make him they just like put him in a random tag team to. they have him like fill in for Bobby Roode and Bobby Roode's tag team for one week because they need him they just need a body
2: it's interesting to see what happens when guys come back from be an injury or just sort of a break in their story. Um, some guys, it seems, are, you know, assume the privilege of coming back and, and being built up into something bigger and stronger and better than before. And then others um, suddenly have to uh, claw and climb and scrape their way out of the middle card, you know, for, like the way Finn Balor's been doing more or less. Um Despite having been the first universal champion, so I don't know if that again, if if this if this is symptomatic of a larger tendency, um, creatively or if it's just case by case. But it is singularly baffling to build up someone up with a two plus year undefeated streak, throw her into a title match. Um, sure, not hand her the title, although you handed it to Rousey. I, I there's all you want to talk about leaving money on the table. Uh, Nakamura and Asuka have essentially, well, while Nakamura has a title, U.S. title, you know, they're both in holding patterns and actually Nakamura kind of been jobbing himself out here and there of late like he did to Rey Mysterio. Oh, but that was a good match. It was a good match. That's but how it was, you job. Uh, well, except for the sort of, you know, um, you know, him practically um sprinting to the uh, middle rope to to sulk himself oh, over sure. in a position well, for that, the 6 happens. <laughs> but, um, you know, these are, I don't know, you're making this investment in bringing people from overseas and um, remaking them in, in the WWE's image to have the luxury of just kind of keeping them on ice for uh, indeterminate periods of time. It seems like that seems like throwing away money to yeah. me. Speaking of throwing away money... My parking lot.
1: Uh, yeah, you got to get out of here. No, no, I, no I'm, I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> um, you mentioned SmackDown 1000. That happened last
2: night as we we're recording this, and it was it was like a it was a really fun show, right? It was fun. It was compact. Um, it wasn't monumental like a Raw 1000 was or would be, but it was fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, but I think, but in some ways, that was it was just sort of perfect for SmackDown because it's a little bit lower volume, a little bit less bombast. But somehow it just comes out more exciting and more fulfilling overall. Right, um, right, right. All of those little video packages from everything from, you know, great moments to the big show writing his father's casket were, I mean, it just, they, they they seem self-aware about, you know, with the with the photos they chose. And it was really fun. And not just that, but, okay, so the show opens with the, all three McMahons. Uh, all the entire McMahon family that's not employed by the U.S. government uh, <laughs> making a uh, so making appearances on Truth TV, which is
2: somehow already my favorite segment in the history of wrestling. Although I agree that right now it's over, and I and I like it, but it is very SmackDown to yeah. open the thousandth episode with an Our Truth segment. I mean that is the most smackdown Our an Truth and
1: Carmella ever. segment. So let's be clear, she's uh, an you, equal you, partner in this. Yes,
2: although I I I. Don't understand. I think she's being done a disservice by continually having to be, you know, adjacent to a a, 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 Man? a male foil of some kind. I don't understand why was, she was just a,
1: a. I mean, I think she's been doing, being done a disservice in terms of she, like she finally got over as a wrestler and as a heel. Yeah, um, but I but I don't mind this pairing in general. But anyway, uh, Stephanie was there to be Stephanie McMahon was out to be interviewed. Shane made a surprise appearance, and then their dad, Vince McMahon made an even surprisier surprise
2: appearance and then they danced they danced and um, and I have to say I'd be remiss I mentioned this to you over um, text last night but I I um, you know watching Vince come out especially amidst the climate of what is going on with the Saudi Arabia issue watching him come out um, a man who is ultimately sort of in a um, sitting in a in a looming tower above the masses you know from from um, from day to day. And receive this adulation from this crowd of mostly kind of middle-income, you know, middle-class Americans <laughs> chanting along, you know, uh, to his to his music um, as he sort of just soaked in the you know all the all the um, all the adulation. It felt a little Trump rally-ish.
1: Why? Uh, I understand they're trying to be apolitical. Like I know that the, I, I I know I hear I heard what you said. I know that to be true that they're trying to keep the, keep out of politics. Uh, would it really be that difficult to start a Shane a heel Shane or even better have a heel Vince McMahon feud with whoever the female champion is and just to get a locker up chance like if if the, if <laughs> Becky Lynch becomes stone cold Steve Austin feuds with Mr. McMahon and then various at various times gets taken away to jail if Vince could just start a locker-up chance about Becky, would that not be the most over thing in the history of wrestling? I, I
2: wish they would lean into this stuff more and 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 the fact that they're not is somewhat hypocritical and we know they're not or they can't because of Linda and where she's at. Forget the, the relationship that Donald Trump has with WWE and Hall of mm-hmm. Fame and him and Vince being friends and um it just feels like <laughs> something that maybe you know is difficult for Vince to swallow because maybe some part of him wants to lean into it but um, yeah it's true but, well
1: yeah. he certainly doesn't have any problem leaning into the herky jerky or whatever that dance move he was doing was it's like that viral video of the Arkansas teacher dancing <laughs> I don't even um, know what you're talking about but I take that to be a good comparison I'm very, um, I'm very hip uh, the Usos and Daniel the Usos versus Daniel Bryan AJ Styles was just like a g- incredibly fun good thing And really, and did a great job of that's what every match, that's what every match, that's what every match non pay per view should be. It should be like, it should have stakes on both sides. And, uh, and like, it's really easy to book to the right decision. I mean, to to the right ending there.
2: And you don't have to, you don't have to fall back into this formula of, okay, one week you're gonna, one guy from one tag team is gonna face the other guy from the tag team in a singles match. Then the next week, the other two guys will do it. And then they'll, they'll blow it off in a pay per view. This felt like a halfway point. Between you know what you would see on superstars, sort of consequence-free but fun and ex- yeah. creative booking, and something with a little higher value. I only really mentioned that
1: match. So, I was I was just gonna run through. No, I'm glad that you said that. I I was just gonna run through the just the high like the big special moments at SmackDown 1000, and that was the only one that was gonna be left out really. So I just wanted to make sure we got a nice little applause for for that really good match in there.
2: Evolution reunited. Batista was great. I actually. Kind of, I have to admit, I roll my eyes a little bit at how it ultimately planted the seed for something with Batista and Triple H because everything ultimately has to be about Triple H. But I, I would watch that match. I, of course, of course, I'm going to watch it. I I already paid the money for the network, even though they never gave me my free month. And um, the whole speech, though, you know, it was this mix of gen, gen, uh, genuine pathos and, and you know just kind of coordinated scripted tomfoolery but yeah the great I
1: mean the the most the, the most fun part about it was not the feuding with Triple H although th- I'm great with that but it was that there it about 75% of the time it felt like they were going to go to commercial in the middle of in the middle of Batista's speech because you just <laughs> didn't know what you didn't know if he was supposed to be saying any of that the orchestra would play like a yeah like even ceremony. the stuff that he was saying that was I mean it was all totally appropriate but it all felt very unscripted And like, and yeah, and we know they want everything to be scripted. Um,
2: Edge came back. Looking very gray. Dapper, but gray. Um, I don't, neither here nor there. He's probably, if he hears this, he's going to be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Who's (laughs) this Kenny Herzog talking about my hair? Oh, that asshole I interviewed about my appearance on Vikings. Um, (laughs) Or that interviewed me, I should say. Uh,
1: So he came back, episode of The Cutting Edge. Which was cool to see him back and everything, and and uh, but this isn't about him coming back. This is uh, Becky Lynch gave another incredible promo, maybe the best promo of her career. It was so good, like it wasn't a monologue. It wasn't like a, she didn't tell a story, but man, she is so good. She
2: delivered, and it was awesome, and it was a real rush. I just get a little perplexed when I see a reaction, you yeah. know. You take things on Twitter for a grain, with a grain of salt, but that's what you're looking at to gauge how people are reacting. The, the, the she's so over, she's so over. And I want to say, you know, but the whole conundrum with her right now is the whole, if she's intended to be a monster heel, she's not really supposed to be over. She's supposed to be getting heat.
1: Well, I don't know. There's a difference.
2: I, there's not a difference anymore, but I don't, you know, she's not generating necessarily heat, but she's just popular. Well, it's popular. not her fault
1: that they push her the heel when they, I mean, it was, When I mean, and, and listen, there's not a distinction Uh, on the good-to-evil continuum, there is not a distinction between don't break your neck getting out of the ring or whatever she said to Edge, which was uh, amazing, and Ronda Rousey's telling Nikki Bella that the only door she ever opened was the one to John Cena's dressing room. Right. If anything, Ronda's was more of a heel statement, and the other one was like a quip. One is quippier, and the other is just like hilariously mean-spirited, but, I mean, they're both hilariously mean-spirited. I'm just saying... There's only so much you can do. The difference between a baby face and a heel in 2018 is that they're on different sides of the stage when they have the whole cast, when they have the whole locker room come out for an announcement. I mean, that's right. it.
2: Well, and that was the or that was the greatest, um, which it always still, I'm such a weird kayfabe, not that it still bothers me when they do that, what you were just talking about, but um, it may have been the best advertisement for Evolution, what they're trying to theoretically do in earnest with Evolution, that Edge essentially let himself come out to be emasculated by Becky Lynch without putting up <laughs> you know a fight um to put her over and cuz you know that's kind of where um things have evolved And it is how you,
1: that, that's that's how you put people over for that's, sure. That's
2: how you, And and I just think the the sentiment of you know a popular male iconic male wrestler um making a special appearance to essentially let himself get torn a new one by a powerful female is kind of where the WWE wants to be at right now and purports to be at and is in its best moments. Yes.
1: That was really fantastic. I love that segment. That counts as a special thousandth episode event um, and the Big Show though the Big Show coming out <laughs> making his big return to I guess join the bar.
2: I, that's that's what I saw some people term it as. I saw it as more you know we'll wait and see why or what that was about. I
1: mean the greatest thing of all of all of the of all the amazing throwbacks that happened on SmackDown one thousand. Maybe the the most poignant of all was Big to, Big Show turning turning heel. <laughs> yeah. Like there is nothing. The I, big show has turned, but has has jumped between face and heel on SmackDown probably more times than the heavy, than the the world title has changed hands. And
2: all that has to happen is his face has to drop, or it has to turn up. I mean, yeah. that's he has, and that's what that's a testament to his um, malleability and his way that he's sort of tapped into the nuances of what how he performs. I don't think it's just a given that you know, Great Khali wouldn't be able to pull that off. You're right.
1: If there was, if it weren't for him wrestling last week. You're right. The assumption would just be that he came back just for that, just for the moment, and we, and then whatever
2: we'll see him maybe sometime in the future. I, 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 you know what? Um, I'm a big uh, fan and admirer of the man, and uh, I hope to tell him that to his to his face one day. Um,
1: Mysterio's back. Mysterio somehow looks like he's ten years younger than the last time I saw him. He
2: looks ten years younger and very tanned, but he also looks. He looked a little gassed at points in that match. He had a little trouble, kind of whooping up, you know, a frenzy from the fans, and he actually kind of had to take a couple of breaths before he springboarded off the rope. And look, oh my, I couldn't even you know run a sprint in his shoes. I just have to mention that.
1: Do, do can we should we start a conspiracy theory that that's actually a different person underneath the mask? That's Huniko. Yeah. <laughs> Hunigo got all new tattoos. (laughs) Um, I will say that Ray is, I know he's, he's, this isn't the first time, but he's, he's wearing the, uh, he's wearing like the regular tights sort of now instead of the, instead of the Jinko pants or whatever that he's been wearing for the past 20 years. Right. They're kind of shiny baggy, the shiny bell bottoms. And I just want to give him props because, uh, there are a lot of people who came up at the same time
2: as him that are still wearing baggy pants. Are you speaking about the Charismatic Enigma and his brother? There are many people. I mean, it's really shocking going back and watching some stuff on the network from you know 2000 and even five through ten, whatever. That there's not Jeff Hardy's look hasn't changed at all. No, but yet, meanwhile, it's felt like he's evolved a lot. He in, wears the in, makeup in now. Years. But he, he actually was wearing the makeup even like ten years ago, off and on. Yeah, listen. I mean, so is Goldust. So I, everyone has their shtick.
1: Um, and uh, The Undertaker uh, was there, which brings a sort of background to Raw. I mean, The Undertaker was appeared on both shows. Uh, I mean, we are at a point where Undertaker's entrance is the best part of The Undertaker. But I got to think that if I bought a ticket to SmackDown 1000 and the show ended with him telling DX to rest in peace, I probably would have sat in my seat for at least 25 minutes
2: waiting for whatever dark match was to come. Oh, it's like waiting for a... <laughs> it's like wanting a third encore to, at a concert or something. I... I I joked to my wife, we were watching that live, or I was watching that, and she was just on the couch. Um, and when he said, you know, I, you know, I only have three words, which I couldn't believe it because he, you know, had done that promo just the night before. Really weird. I just ad-libbed, suck my dick, which I was really <laughs> hoping. And then and, and she laughed and said, oh, I really <laughs> hope he says that. And then unfortunately, um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to say The Undertaker is at risk of, you know, becoming a... Character of himself, and you know he's first and forever a character writ large. But uh, I think you're absolutely correct that his entrance music Hi. is is the peak. I have a
1: little, my, very very minor quibble with this. With me? Oh, one thing, no, no, with no, with that, with 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 the Undertaker. Actually, I have, I have a list of quibbles about the show. One quibble is, I know it's unavoidable, but maybe don't have the evolution reunite.
2: Two weeks before you have a pay per view called Evolution that is unrelated, it's amazing. It's like they, in every way possible and inv- inadvertent or purposeful, they seem to be clouding or stealing the, the spotlight out from <laughs> under Evolution standing on its own. I mean, I don't, it's just so insane. Yeah, but, quip number two, why do they have to call it Evolution to begin with? Okay, because there was the faction what, Evolution. I don't know. I don't know.
1: It's, it's so strange. You could have called it like, but qualm number two is. Yeah. You could have called a lot of things. Qual number two is that if the Undertaker truly has—and I know this is a marketing thing. Don't don't at me. Don't don't don't. don't I know I know why it's happening. But if the Undertaker has no respect for Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Why does he respect them enough to acknowledge them as DX and help them sell shirts? <laughs> like that's not—they are not DX. They were the same. They're the same two people who we called Shawn and Triple H. three weeks ago
2: well and this isn't to some extent why you miss having guys like cm punk around because they it was baked into their character that they were going to break the fourth wall and those things and be be meta and um it's a and the undertaker can be um very authoritative about that he doesn't even he doesn't even have to be sort of a wise ass about it he can simply say hey i have the i have the gravitas to Refuse to reference you the way you're choosing to be referenced, and that's mm-hmm. going to be part of what gets under your skin and drives our, you know, um, our animosity. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't have much good to say about <laughs> the way they're going about this, but I understand why they're doing it. And and as you mentioned, you know, I did talk to Terry Funk about it somewhat, and he um, illuminated some of it. And I talked to a lot of friends of mine too, who were kind of saying, you know, just stop. Be a grown-up Kenny, you know? It's like it's just business and, you know, he's far more... They're all far more concerned about their war chest than than their the credibility of wherever their story left off, you know, in 2010. So I, I understand all that, but I may be some naive part of me. The little fan in me wants there to be a little bit of, of consideration for everything.
1: You mentioned your Terry Funk interview, which I wanted to talk about some. You got the Funkster on the phone to talk about...
2: I got the fuckster on the phone.
1: <laughs> the mini varieties of wrestling retirement, uh, which you also wrote about separately last week, but the but Terry Funk seemed a little bit I mean, I kind of said what you, what you kind of imagined he would say, but he did he did have um well, why don't you tell me? What what did what do you what you you t- you called Terry Funk and you said Shawn Michaels is coming back. Is this weird?
2: I didn't even say hi, this is Kenny. I had nothing. I just right away. <laughs> yeah Shawn's coming back. Um no, he was he was had a lot of opinions about it and um it, he fell somewhere between you know being very kind of pragmatic about um you know taking opportunities we can get them especially when there's been a, enough interest because you've been away for long enough and also um you know feeling being a a, a true You know, wrestling fan himself and feeling like it'll also be a good show and it'll be entertaining. And um, we don't need to be so cynical. And uh, guys like Shawn Michaels, or in Terry Funk's opinion, aren't going to come back just to half ass it. So everybody just chill out, calm down, it'll then have fun. And yes. At the same time, Shawn Michaels will make his money. And this is me saying this, not Terry, but and go make faith-based movies and you know, ride horses and buy bandanas and do what he does. Or headbands, I should say. He's more of a headband than a bandana man.
1: Yeah. Um it's so weird. <laughs> so with the bandana I gotta start doing the bandana and cowboy hat I didn't realize that was an option for a bald man
2: I uh you know having um such thick hair as I do for yeah. a man on the doorstep of 40 I don't uh know what that's like so I just have to, you, know, you gotta imagine. start doing the you
1: need to start doing the um the Kyrie Irving headband, just the sort of like the sort. It's the sort of Jimi Hendrix headband that like all the kids are wearing
2: now. Or like a didn't John C. Riley? Uh, wear that in Boogie Nights. Isn't yes, that, yeah, that's because yeah. I have more of his kind of oh, man. That's a, Rambo too. Yeah, Rambo really. Rambo is really the icon. Rambo as in Rambo Two is in Rambo also, or is in specifically from Rambo Two. Jim, First Blood. Okay, because <laughs> I, I think in Rambo Two he actually cut it short. I, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Is there anything else? okay? The the only other
1: big note on Raw that I that I want to touch on we got we had a Shield versus whatever their name
2: is match. Uh, uh, are it, they the Dogs of War? Are Twitter? they Drew and Dolph? Drew, Do,
1: Drew, Drew McIntyre, Dov Ziggler. They and, sound like Brett Kavanaugh's friends. Yes, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Braun Strowman teamed up against the Shield once again, and it, the match ended. With everybody mad at everybody, it seemed like the the bad guys, the heels, we'll call them, just fully broke up at the end of the match. Now I don't know if Drew and Dolph are still buddies, but because basically uh, the Dolph Dolph ate the pin, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna get all this confused. Uh, and then
2: yeah, that's fair to say.
1: And then Braun Strowman got mad and slammed him. It's like you can't, don't, never lose. You you know, you've lost for me one too many times. You scrawny shrimp, and did his power slam, and then as he was getting up, Drew hit him with the kick.
2: Yes, I don't think you come back as friends from a from a intentional claymore.
1: The, right. So Drew and Braun are definitely not friends. What was unclear was if Drew was doing that in defense of his friend Dolph Ziggler or not, because Drew just then left on his own. He didn't try to take Dolph out with him.
2: Well, oh, and by the way, Drew and Dolph are still, I believe. Raw Tech Team Champions. Sure, but that's 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 very mutable. <laughs> well, it just means it's not like Dolph's gonna gonna side with Ron and, and Drew's gonna. What go they his own should do yet. is have
1: the WWE's first ever intergender match. Let's do Bailey and Sasha. Let's say Dolph, and, Dolph, and, and uh, Drew break up, so Dolph is left to defend the titles on his own, and he loses a match to Bailey and Sasha, who then. Just take the tag team belts for themselves.
2: This is sort of like my idea that I've always wanted to have for intersport trading, where you could trade, say, you know, Alex Rodriguez for Alex Olvechkin. Um, but would they have to play? I, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's great. I, that's I, don't awesome. know, I don't know how the money and bargaining would work. But um, anyway, I, <laughs> I, I think we can agree that it's a little bit of a mystery as to why you kind of scratch your head. So Braun Strowman was mega over as a face. And then They really rushed into this idea that he's sort of the overlord of, you know, the villain factions of the the locker room. And then they kind of broke that down a little bit more clearly into this three-person stable. And now that's already sort of disassembled. So it's a little hard to see where the long-term planning is. And then on the S.H.I.E.L.D. side of things, you and I, I think, both agree uh, to finally reunite the S.H.I.E.L.D. in earnest after we were kind of, after we flirted with it several months ago, but injuries happen, um, and only to sow those seeds of discord and, and division, you know, virtually, instantaneously, Um it's a little lazy at best and and not particularly compelling <laughs> at, yeah. at, at, at worst I guess Yeah you could flip the worst and best you could maybe I'm saying the same thing ultimately. No
1: it's 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 very weird I mean listen you asked the, the specific the question is why did they put these guys together and then break them up and I think that this is sort of I don't think this is the worst thing that's ever happened but I did say a couple of weeks ago that if it turned out that, that these if the if these three guys break up before survivor series and it looks like the only reason they were ever together was to have a three on have a non-title main event for the Super Showdown. I mean, that's the reason why. And this this is all. This seems like that is true. Which so that's disappointing. They they brought them together because they wanted a foe for the Shield that could carry them through this Australian show without putting the title on the
2: line. You want they put? You're saying they put Strowman and Ziggler McIntyre together because they needed a foe for the Shield. Yeah. Okay, but then and the Shield then are only together despite what's seemingly already coming apart because it would set up something else and at least in the mean- meantime they could sell a lot of shirts for two months the existence <laughs> of a
1: thing you're right this is the critique this is this is the to me the most scient criticism the existence of a thing is not a is not a program it's not a storyline right right putting the shield back together is not a story that quote writes itself similarly Deciding to have an all-women's pay-per-view is not in itself a story that people are going to buy tickets for. Right. Unless unless there's a, again, like, unless it's built around a tournament or, like, whatever. Like, they they shot themselves in the foot by saying we're having the first ever women's pay-per-view. Oh, but we can't announce the, the Ronda Rousey match because we've decided just to s- slow walk that feud. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, Rousey was... On fire on Monday night and deserves lots of credit for on that. On fire a
2: few a few things didn't quite land, but it's for the okay. most part. Yeah. No one else could have given that promo any better. Uh, no, very no. few it, people. It was it was real. It was fire. It was raw. And she you know, the thing was you could tell she finally got I think and the bellows, I'm sure, guided her into saying, don't hold back. Just rip into it. No matter how personal it is, that's what we do in this business. Just go for it, you yeah. know?
1: But to be to not be able to book her, I mean to to advertise her match. I don't know why Nikki Bella... I mean, I guess there's the total Bellas and stuff, but, like, man, you need to sell tickets, you know, I mean, this might be the time just to go all in with her versus... I mean, imagine if Asuka was in position to have a super fight on this card. Yeah. yeah. Unf- unfortunately, she's not been booked for anything. But but this
2: is, you know... I mean, there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of cool things you could have done. I mean, I like Nikki Bella, and I like watching her wrestle, so I, I'm a little bit biased, but um, I, I guess it's almost kind of... Um, just a, a perk of her, you know, seniority and her status. I guess I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway,
1: uh, the point of that was was to say that like putting the shield together does not is not automatically a storyline. And it seems like the only story they know how to tell with the shield really is that the shield's
2: breaking up. Right. And maybe they should just stop stop doing it. And just the next time they. You know, reunite. It'll be at the Hall of Fame. You know,
1: Listen, If this just just to keep the tension up and the Shield is going to stay together for six more months, then maybe it's a good idea.
2: Maybe, but I don't see it'll wear I don't see how you pull back, and then if you do, how you act like this just didn't happen. I don't. I just don't understand why you needed to. Um, as I said to you earlier, off microphone. You know, this should be in your back pocket. I guess it's kind of it's classic trope, but um, it felt. Like they pull the trigger too quick, which is something that perhaps they've been doing on a lot of – they've been hasty in a lot of um, execution of late. And is that because they've just spread themselves too thin in the macro sense and they have all these different events going on? Because to your point, they're just the, – the announcement of the thing suddenly be, is supposed to be enough. I, uh, I think the nuts and bolts of it is missing and maybe it's getting too big. Maybe it's all just too big strip it down break it down forget you know Saudi Arabia for a while and India and Australia and just get back to doing what you do well and telling stories well because you have a concern and a concerted audience cuz suddenly you have all the mainstream media you ever could ever want covering it regardless of how much uh, territory you know you're out there conquering and maybe they're just doing this all backwards and putting the cart before the horse yeah i think there's a lot of a lot of truth to that the last thing Our truth. Yeah, the last
1: thing i want to talk about Uh, when it when it comes to raw and everything else is this is I mean you know we don't we don't revel in like internet reports too much although I think this was a Meltzer thing I think there was a this was a this is a legitimate uh this is a legitimate thing um this is W is he apparently yeah Meltzer reports that WWE is hoping Drew McIntyre can turn into someone who carries the company. And compared the his pairing with Ziggler is like Michael's Diesel in '95, which obviously was the point from the moment that they teamed up. They were doing the Michael's Diesel gimmick from right, you know, as soon as they got together. But it it definitely looked like at the end of Raw. I mean, he was the last man standing. He was walking out, walking out on his own. What what do
2: you think his ceiling is as a performer? Well, he is a tall man, so he he probably (laughs) hit it fairly. Uh, But I, I, you know, again though, if they're going for this. Idea of um, global domination. And I don't know if any one person can carry that load, carry totally that water. I, you know, it's like it, – and I think it's great that they have people that can be – talent that could be ambassadorial for different continents and, and on different um, representative arms of their social media presence. The way that, you know, Jinder Mahal is maybe so heavily featured on, you know, the WWE India social media but I don't know if there's any. I just don't think there's a lot to reports like that because I just don't think it's the model of right now.
1: Well, I don't think it should be the model. I think, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I guess Austin was the last person that sort of carried the company on his own, but that that very, very quickly and necessarily transitioned into a sort of League of Nations note, not the wrestling right. version of like all <laughs> of the, I mean, the, that era of him and the Rock and mankind and DX and you know, all, there's all these all these people, and there are a lot of other people, Kurt Angle later, and you know that that had. Very significant parts in in keeping the company. I mean, the, the the greatest moments of success for WWE over the past twenty years have been moments when multiple people were hot. You know, CM right, Punk and John right. Cena worked together. You know, I mean, they and 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 um, probably their biggest moment involved Alberto Del Rio. Right. You know, I mean, it was it was you need you need lots of you need heat from a lot of different uh, quadrants
2: and. and- Maybe this maybe this is going to sound a little too Vince McMahony, but to some you can't just predetermine or anoint somebody this or that, especially now because we know you know or, Drew McIntyre the, was literally called the he chosen was one. Called, <laughs> let's not. I was going to say you know he was in, at least in story terms you know anointed anointed a long time ago, but you can't you can't just simply appoint someone that way. I, I think it has to be something that you kind of go out and you do have to go out and take. Not say, number-
1: if anybody else in the company if there were i mean he is is clearly has i mean we know we have so we have so much history with him and the same thing with seth but if there were two guys that were going out and having the kind of matches that they've now had on raw at three times over the past couple of months, with the, the the quality of performers that they are, especially when they're working together, I mean, this is they're they're they. I, I I like watching them so much in the ring together. And I want to point out, I mean, they would. I'm just oh, the whole. The end of the sentence was, if anyone oh, else were doing this, I, I forgot to. If anyone else were doing what they're doing, we would be saying that's the future of the company right there.
2: I mean, that's. But I think these things are made in the ring, essentially. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's it goes back to the old Stone Cold. You know, happened overnight. You know, when he. You know, ran with it it's not like Vince McMahon thought you know when, when Austin came back in the WWE right before this the uh-huh. Attitude Era what was uh, his gimmick again? oh he was the ringmaster. sheriff or whatever? Or? the, uh, the ringmaster. Ringmaster. ringmaster oh ringmaster it's I'm not sorry. like Vince McMahon said the ringmaster is going to be our guy so these two guys are making it happen and maybe hopefully they're paying enough attention to that but I'm going to say the big distinction is the same the thing that Rollins and McIntyre have in common they both have chest hair it's true. Chest hair might be the new feature. That, well, ever, that ever since Triple H
1: quit shaving his chest, I think that was a clarion call. to mm-hmm. Everyone else, if you want to be cool, you quit shaving. We have to get out of here. Jim is waving at me like a crazy. Person. I don't have a lot of chest hair, but I have some. I got, some I, got en- I got enough to get over in WWE. That's yeah. for sure.
2: I can make it. I could wet it down.
1: <laughs> we did not talk about the fact that Shawn Michaels may be having a dream match against. Uh, is it Daniel Bryan? Wait, who, what's he doing? He, now There's rumors that he's going
2: to be wrestling at WrestleMania. I sometimes I watch old Royal Rumbles and WrestleManias with my kid all the time, and we were watching a Royal Rumble from '95, the one with Pam Anderson, and and I just thought to myself, AJ I just, Styles, yeah. Hmm?
1: Wrestle Talk says that he might be working at 35 against AJ Styles. Sorry no, to interrupt.
2: No, no, I mean that might have been a dream match if 39 year old Shawn Michaels could have wrestled you know 39 year old AJ Styles, but um, that's all. Oh, that's a sort of cliche take but um, I just have to say having literally just the other day watched the Royal Rumble from 95 that I think Shawn Michaels won. I didn't watch it till the end but it was the one where Pam Anderson celebrated with him. uh, I just and then thinking I can't believe that he actually still was coming out in his weird um, glittery vest you know in the mid 2000s for more Royal Rumbles and the thought in 2018 beyond what's happening with the the Brothers of Destruction of him coming out and preening to sexy boy and, and having a quote unquote dream match against AJ Styles or whomever in 2018 or 19 it's just enough enough enough
1: (laughs) yeah yeah I'm with you there um I think it would be better if he was actually just wearing a long hair wig like that he had glued to his head that would that would at least raise the comedy value All right, we gotta get out of here um my hope spot of the week I thought about a lot of things here things I'm hopeful for things that are promising you know the Becky Lynch's promo the tag match on Smackdown there are a lot of hopeful, but but those are those are a little bit more established. I try to look for something that I noticed for the first time, or you know, it's, a, it's relatively new for over the past several weeks that it gets me excited to watch wrestling. And this week, it was you know I'm a meta guy. I'm always talking about like second and third level degree stuff. This week, it this has been one for a couple of weeks, but this week the thing I loved more than anything, the thing that gave me hope, was Renee Young's shtick in this post kayfabe era where basically the only way to thread the needle of work and shoot is that Dean Ambrose is a terrible husband so like like every time the shield or Dean Ambrose's motivations come up they go well I mean they don't say it outright but clearly the implication is Renee Young, you were married to him. <laughs> what do you what insight do you have? And her response is, I haven't seen him lately. <laughs> over and over again. Listen, you guys know Dean. He's crazy. Yeah, you never know what to expect. Whatever. But then when it comes to something specific, well, surely he's mentioned Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins, like, actually, he's refused to talk to me for the past 18 days. <laughs> it's it's the most amazing
2: shtick, and I hope that they do it forever. And you wonder if maybe, uh, you know, Ambrose is just projecting on what's happening in his personal life where there's people <laughs> coming to him and saying, you really shouldn't be with Renee. She doesn't have your best interest. And then somebody else saying, no, she's what's best for you, and he's just getting torn apart. Uh, it's tough. It's, it's
1: tough. tough. Dean Ambrose is being pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, before we get out of here, tell everybody your Twitter account. At Kenny Herzog, k-e-n-n-y-h-e-r-z-o-g and check out kenny's stuff on the ringer.com it's always fun and exciting apologies as always to dean ambrose and guys um i hope you love yourself like becky lynch loves herself we'll see you back here next week humanoids
0: we are desperately out of time the tape machines are rolling we'll see you next week on the mass man show
1: know how you said like john cena should be like worried possibly scared Uh uh-huh is that why he's been wearing that toupee and he wasn't at smackdown (laughs) 1000 because he's in hiding it is the closest thing to a literal waste Uh of a wrestler's time